Good morning. This is John Richardson speaking with you from Toronto, Canada. Today is Monday, November the 14th, 2022, which means it is exactly six days after uh, the recent U.S. elections. And before that election, I had the privilege of having a podcast interview with Craig Swartz, who was running the Democrat candidate in Ohio 5th District. And... Uh, Thank you, Craig, for joining me today for a follow-up recap. And where do we, you, whoever, go from here? So great to see you again. How are you doing? Well, John, thank you again for having me on. Uh, I'm doing fine, uh, actually, uh, mentally speaking, uh, and even physically. Uh, I feel uh, very relaxed after this past week, able to... Uh, get reconnect with my family <laughs> i've been kind of like a, a a migrant going all over the place this year um itinerant campaigner itinerant campaigner yeah and um but um no i you know we set out to give a voice uh to the democrat uh, democrats here and to the independents to try to reach some republicans in northwest ohio i feel like we did achieve quite a bit of that i got a lot of local press uh, uh, and we were able to convey some good messages there. Uh, some of the ideas that uh, I want to continue to espouse: uh, the, the All America Tax Act, you know, where we get that thirty-six thousand tax for everybody, and that actually uh, resonated quite well across the you know the party divides. And also the public bank, the idea of the public bank, I think, can be something that uh, rural uh, America really benefit from. And again, that will transcend party lines. So those are two things that I want to continue uh, working on going forward. So I'm going to stay very actively engaged. I am still Wyandotte County Party Chair. Um, I feel like I'm going to get much more active within the county party organization and trying to organize a rural Ohio Democratic movement. There is none. You know, that, I, that, that is, uh, that's really... Great stuff. I mean, I'm so pleased to hear that, you know, for you, the election was just, you know, a piece of the broader puzzle and that you're, you know, you're moving on. Um, I do want to uh, extend a personal thanks to you uh, for running and your contribution to the democratic process generally. I think, um, you know, I mean, I have run independent and I, I firmly believe that win, lose or draw, uh, just the fact of uh, having the courage to throw your hat in the ring, the energy and the commitment to crisscross the state, you know, and engage with people is uh, is a noble and necessary contribution to the democratic process. So, I mean, I don't live in the United States, but this is a big problem in Canada, too. They are kindred spirits in terms of, you know, the... Uh, the escalation towards sort of a dysfunctional democracy, right? And so, great stuff, and thank you for all that. Yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, I, I just feel so strongly that uh, the uh, message has to continue. Uh, we didn't get everything, obviously, we wanted, you know, short of a win. I was really hoping to get to that 40 percentile, 40, 45, because the real key for us here, uh, running in these uh, – you know, you know, let's say gerrymandered districts, heavily gerrymandered districts, is to raise our profile high enough, high enough so that we can get those statewide candidates elected. And that's the real mission. So as I've said from the, I've said from the onset, onset, that I was always ready to take one for the team. <laughs> I just wish I had some help. And we're what we're severely lacking now here in, you know, Ohio is fast going to become it isn't already there, a flyover state as far as national democratic groups are concerned. Now, you may have read that a little bit. Yeah, Tim Ryan, so I'll give you a great example. Tim Ryan's running for uh, U.S. Senator here in Ohio, and he was a good candidate, the right kind of candidate for this state, and a, and a great message. Uh, it was, his message was the same as mine, that, that the Democrats, the Democratic Party has um, left behind a lot of the people that they've taken for granted, the farmers, the teachers, you know, unions, things like that, for 40 years. So can and I just pause you on that for one second? Go can ahead. You help me understand. I mean, I, like, I agree with you intuitively and instinctively, okay? 
but I'm wondering if you could, you know, put a little meat on those thoughts and perhaps elaborate, get into that a little more deeply. How how's the Democratic Party done that? Okay, well, that's what I'm trying to get to. So that so Tim Ryan was told early on he probably wasn't going to get any help from uh, the Democratic National Committee or the Democratic Leadership uh, Conference uh, Committee, whatever it's DLCC or leadership, which was the, the Senate and the national groups putting a lot of money, organizing PAC money to back candidates. Now, the, can, the candidacies like Fetterman of Pennsylvania, uh, Masto in Nevada, Kelly in Arizona, these were worn up now taking precedent and absorbing a lot of the money. And what was happening is the DNC was not giving Tim Ryan any money. They, they weren't helping from outside, outside groups can help get that TV advertising, that other social media advertising. So the campaign's not having to use up its precious cash resources towards that goal. And ultimately, that's what happened with Tim Ryan. Now, he did lose, you know, I mean, Vance beat him by a comfortable margin, but it didn't have to be that way. They put in 30 to 40 million outside Republican dark money into Vance's campaign at the last. And we had no counter message. So that's that's a prime example where the national group made it is picking winners and losers. In the beginning of the campaign, I told you before, I never got one call from the from Washington, from the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. Not one. And when I read stories in the Times and the Post, uh, right days leading up to the uh, election, how the Democrats had no message, really, other than, okay, we're fighting for civil political rights, we're fighting for democracy, we're fighting for these, in some cases, vague concepts, and we weren't presenting that kitchen table issue, that closer. And Tim Ryan was up five points in the summer. A number of our people were up pretty significantly. The Democratic uh, national groups just let one go. I think, in my case, uh, um, the, in terms of the All American Tax Act, I think that was an idea. When I talked about that to different people, Republicans, independents, like Democrats, I don't care where they were from, they all said, man, that's a great idea. What you want to be doing from a national organization is finding out those candidates and their views in the hinterland. And who knows, man, you might find a gem. You run that up the flagpole, and that could help out everybody. And that's it's that lack of communication. I mean, not to get at least one call. And it was, I wasn't the only one. It's all there was. We had 15 races in Ohio. Three were competitive where they focused their resources. Two were a slam dunk for the Dems. So that leaves 10 of us who never got a call. And this is across the country. The Democrats, I'm, I'm telling you, I, we don't have, we can't match the resources of Republicans. Are we poor? I think it's just a lack of coordination, lack of strategy. And even in the state level, John, the Ohio Democratic Party, a lot of county party chairs that I've spoken to, uh, very, very dismissive of our efforts here. We got shellacked here in Ohio. You know, I find it impossible to understand why that would be the case. I mean, you know, it sounds to me... um, you know, and I, I'm an independent. I'm you know, I'm not you know, I'm not a Democrat, but it sounds to me as though almost as though the party is is running this stuff for the benefit of you know certain you know factions in the party and not for the good of the you know the individuals as a whole. I mean, am, am I wrong on that? Uh, you're absolutely correct. Here in Ohio, we have a lot of you know the unions have a, an immense amount of, of power at the state level with respect to party politics you know, on the Democratic side. Not the, obviously not the uh, Republican side, but on the Democratic side, they control an enormous amount of the central party, uh, state central committee seats to decide on policy direction, you know, actually who's going to be the chair and all, you know, and the officers and things. And it's probably a little bit almost... Um, out, out of balance in that sense. 
because again, you don't have the, the rural voices speaking up and they pay lip service to uh, people living in this area. Every cycle we get the same thing. Oh, we're going to really focus on the rural. We're going to get the rural vote out and all that. And nothing. So there's an outsized influence from the uh, Cleveland, Columbus, and Cincinnati, which are the three largest cities in Ohio, and the trade unions that are associated with them. And I'm very much a union person. I spoke in front of a dozen different union halls this year. But we've lost the rank and file. They vote against their own interests. The union leadership are on our side. It's the rank and file. And, and if they were to explain it in their own language, say your typical member of the rank and file, well, how, give give me a sentence or two. What would they say? You mean about us? Yeah, well, just on the retail level. Yeah, why they're not voting for the, you know, why they won't vote, why they, you know, drift. Oh, because, yeah, they're, they're, because they're, they're tired of the of both parties or they're tired. And they when they went to Trump, remember, Obama won Ohio twice. Trump won Ohio twice. And in the Trump, this was a repudiation of the Democratic Party and even the Republican Party. They were just voting for the guy. I agree with you. Yeah. You know, if I can just uh, offer up a thought on this, I may have mentioned this to you before. Normally, people think I'm certifiably crazy the first time they hear this, but. You know, there's a lot of dissatisfaction, I think properly so, with the political parties. And I actually saw both Obama and Trump as fundamentally independent candidates who latched on to political parties. And in that sense, I, I have always seen, as shocking as this may sound, I have actually seen Obama and Trump as having more in common than almost any other presidential candidates for years. Does that make sense to you? Yep. Makes perfect sense. When Obama ran in 08, he eschewed the public financing part of the campaign, didn't want the public money. So that allowed him to freely go out and bring in as much money as, as he deemed necessary. So he outraised even Hillary Clinton, who you think would think was, was much more connected. All Wall Street money. He raised something to the tune of about 400 some million dollars in the 08 campaign. Huge war chest. He ran an independent uh, campaign. It was very well organized. Extremely, probably the best, one of the best rural organizations you ever saw. But it was independent of the state parties. He actually... So, so he was an independent candidate. Yes, yes. I was right, I was right all these years. Yeah. He, yeah, they, they, ran, they ran their own show. And... Um, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, when Hillary trying to replicate that, they all do to a certain extent. Hillary replicated that a little bit. Hers in 16 was a giant sucking sound. They filled, they ran money from their campaign arm into the state parties and then right back out to give the appearance that they were, they were, they were uh, giving the state parties money. They weren't. They're just, they were just running around, and, and, and the state party was left more broke. Ohio's Democratic Party was left more broke uh, after the election in 16. They by the, by the DNC, effectively. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm not at all surprised by any of this. I mean, it's just sort of, you know, more information that confirms my general perception. So I think that. All right. You know, there's been all this talk about democracy, 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 right? You know, last election, the Republicans, they said Trump was a threat to democracy. You know, actually, I think it's the political parties that are the, the biggest threat to any representative democracy in America at the present time. What do you think? Um, yeah, we, we, I would like to see some significant changes. Um uh, in the electoral process, the, what they're talking about uh, with the electoral, electoral college and things like that, I don't know if that's achievable, but you could start getting more ranked choice voting going on in states, and that's starting to increase across the U.S. It's well, very what, what states are beginning to move in that direction? 
Well, Maine, Maine was the forerunner. Now Alaska, uh, and there are isolated pockets, I believe, in Oregon, Washington, um, I think even in Idaho, um, of all places. So it's uh, Alaska uh, has, has done it now statewide in federal elections. So the other states are still doing the local, you know, state thing. And they haven't gotten quite to the state level yet, but it is, it's, it's actually growing pretty quickly. And ideally that would be uh, something I like to see happen here in the next five, 10 years. Um, I don't know if you're ever going to get that on a national level. That's going to take probably not in our lifetime, but that's a good way of, of at least restoring uh, some semblance of your know, people feeling uh, part of the process. Well, my first choice didn't make it, but my second one did. Yeah, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think that's right. Um, and it's interesting that uh, you know the, our part of the world, North America, uh, has not is. I mean, if it's going to happen, it's just the beginning. There are other parts of the world where this has been, you know, what people understand democracy, the you know, the voting process to be. Uh, do you think that to some extent the problem here is that there, you know, in the U.S. there really are only two parties, in Canada there really are only, you know, something like three or whatever? Well, that was a result of, you know, the, the fear of, um, of communism. I mean, it, it was decades and decades and decades ago. Uh, United States, I can't speak for Canada per se, but the United States had a myriad of political parties in the early part of the 20th century. And over time, because due to the demonization and everything else, the Democrats and Republicans colluded in fixing all of the different state electoral systems. It took a long time, but eventually they screwed it down to where independent parties had to cross significant thresholds to get on state ballots. Right. We, have, we have 50 different systems 50 different state systems of electoral politics here. It is extremely difficult for any independent party on a national basis, unless you are like a Ross Perot, um, legitimately has a billion dollars, not like Trump, <laughs> but to employ attorneys in every state to get through those yeah, hoops. Yeah, you can, yeah, for the legal fees. I, I know it's tremendously difficult, because I knew a, um, uh, I, I mean, no, I don't know the party. I mean, I knew a woman who ran as an independent for president, uh, and it was it was just unbelievable, uh, you know, how much bureaucracy she had to contend with. So, yeah, for me to run for federal office, think about this: um, fifty signatures, fifty signatures out of for to represent nine hundred thousand people for an independent. For an independent, it would have probably been a thousand or so signatures or okay. more. Okay, now that that is that is just totally shocking to me. I mean, in the sense that, I mean, that seems to me to be absolutely hostile to people's being able to vote for candidates they want. I mean, it's, can I? It's, have I, yeah. did I put it right? Yeah, that's it. That's it. And every I worked, and you can get somebody to do it for you. I mean, that's yeah. the other thing. I worked for uh, an independent campaign. This is years ago, early 80s. Uh, John Anderson, he was, we were trying to get him on the ballot to run as an independent for president. On your how ballot for president in 1984, we needed 11,000 signatures. How did that go? Uh, we were fell just short. It was close. It was short, but but it's basically you have to be paying people to get out there and get those signatures. So it's roughly about a. It still holds that it's a. It's about a dollar a, um, a vote. Okay, so so I remember John Anderson, and I remember his uh, his debate with President. Uh, well, at that time, candidate Reagan. I also remember that President Carter would not participate precisely because John Anderson was in the thing, which I thought that was, was in the 80. Yeah, that was the 81. Well, the 81. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, so, so sorry, what, what was the year he was actually on the ballot in, in most states? Was it 80 or was it 84? Probably both. I was working on the 84 one in Ohio. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, that's after I, so I was in eighty. Yeah, nineteen eighty. I was living in Germany at the time, and uh, then Paris the following year, and I came back in eighty two, and I started working on uh, uh, federal politics just about a year after that. Okay, so it was clearly eighty three. Okay, it was yeah. Clearly. I mean, do you remember how many states he was on the ballot in? No, I'd have to look. I'd have to Google it. And the thing is, right? I mean. It is so incredibly difficult for an independent candidate to get on the ballot. And it's even, I don't know what the situation is in the U.S., but I've actually had the experience in Canada of going through the hoops to get a, a political party registered federally, okay? And all that's required is 250 members of the party who sign. This is all that's required. But you would not believe how difficult it is to actually get, you know, to create a party on any level and get 250 people, you know, from the ground up to do it. I mean, most people have this notion that, ah, you know, I'll go stand outside the grocery store on a Saturday. We'll get this. No, 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 no. <laughs> now. Contrast that to if you want to run as an independent candidate, and I think you need, uh, last, last time I did it, you needed 100 signatures to get on the ballot, right? Now, if you want to go stand in front of the grocery store, I would say in two or three days, you might be able to get 100 signatures for you to be on, the, an individual to be on the ballot as an independent. Yeah. But you try, okay, here's my new political party sign on. That is hard. Yeah, that's right. See, Ross Perot, I mean, when you go back to his, the 1992 election, um, now there's a study. That guy jumped out and was already in the 20 percentile during the heat of the campaign. Now, he dropped out because he was citing all of a sudden some security concerns for he and his family or something like that. I don't know. He stopped his campaign midway. But in the end, he still ended up taking 19% of the vote. And he had actually had one of the most memorable debate lines in history when he was challenging Clinton and Bush, saying, you're going to hear a giant sucking sound. You go to NAFTA, you're going to hear a giant sucking sound. Yeah. And, you know, industry going out of the U.S., and he was absolutely right. He was a prophet. And I still cite him to this day. But what he also tapped into, John, this is the this is the origin of Trumpism, because, or I shouldn't even say that, but the disgruntled the disgruntled ma masses. Forget about Trump. Disgruntled masses. I don't want to give this guy too much credit. But party independent populism, right? And so Perot taps into that discontent, that anger. These were millions of people across the country that felt uh, disenfranchised from the two parties. And that just, even after Perot, um, and there was a couple failed bids, uh, independent-wise, uh, in the latter part of the 90s. But that festered for, for years. So when Trump does come along, he wipes away the Republican, the standard Republican establishment. Hillary was a flawed candidate from the get-go. Yeah. And he tapped into it, an anger, and, and of course, you know, coming on in the heels of Obama and the racism, that just, it was just a perfect storm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think that's right. My theory on, um, you know, Trump was, Trump got lots of votes as people were feeling so sick and tired of the of, of the parties generally uh, of which i think the you know i mean the nomination of hillary clinton was in my view confirmation the democratic party existed for the democratic party and not for the voters i mean it was simply it was like it was her turn or something yeah and people regardless of what cluster of words they use to articulate their unhappiness what they liked about Trump was that he ridiculed Hillary Clinton. So really, you know, he became the spokesperson for expressing, uh, you know, what disenfranchised individuals felt yeah. about the political yeah. parties in America, right? That's yeah. what I think happened. 
Because, um, you know, interestingly, I, you know, I really, I would be hard pressed to, uh, you know, identify, you know, things that people said that were, you know, that, oh, Trump is a great president or a great statement. You know, I mean, there was some of that to be sure, but I mean, it wasn't like, you know, uh, uh, you know, sort of like the, uh, you know, kind of imaging that perhaps Ronald Reagan had or John F. Kennedy or something. Well, that's what they try to portray. That's his handlers. Uh, that's what, and certainly his followers all, you know, still subscribe all these, you know, <laughs> say, if you will, uh, superhuman or whatever else, extraordinary, uh, you know, powers to him. No, the guy was none of that. The only thing he achieved. Um, the Republicans cynically used his, you know, once they got it, once he got, became president, the same people he was really, you know, he was ridiculing throughout became sycophants and passed through, rushed through uh, a phenomenal amount of judges throughout the country. He got three Supreme Court picks in there. They packed the court. They just, you know, thumb their nose at, at any kind of democratic process. And so they used this guy to really uh, get their way and get that tax cut through. Which that 2017 tax cut was 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 just a, a you know a giveaway to the rich. It was I don't know it was a giveaway to the rich. It was it was it was focused on corporations without yeah. but, that, but 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 the, but also it was largely it was unfunded. So these guys know on about uh, how they're fiscally conservative they are and everything else but they, they they just gave that thing away. That's why not one Democrat voted for it. It just ran through by the Republicans. I don't think the Republican Party is, is fiscally conservative. I mean, I mean, it's interesting no. to me that the last president of balanced budget actually was Bill Clinton. I think. <laughs> yeah, I they, these guys. I mean, what kills me about the Republicans when Bush got in, Bush you know, Jr. and he puts the uh, he puts the Afghanistan and Iraq on a credit card. Now, Rob Portman is his uh, is his uh, manager, you know, his budget director during that first term before he became a U.S. senator, and they ran it on a credit card. They ran up huge deficits. Well, I don't. I think that the idea of fiscal responsibility in Western democracies is sort of a, at best a footnote. I mean, look at what's happening in the UK right now. I mean, the government of Canada, the liberal government is completely out of its mind. Uh, you know, I mean, perhaps the, the COVID thing has made this, this even worse. It probably has, but you know, it seems to me that, that what has to happen is there's got to be a yeah, I think you got to get rid of these political parties. I think they are the problem. I think they're. I think democracy, whatever that means, is being held hostage to these or you know these organized parties. I mean, I'm you know sort of. A yeah, you really do have to have. I, in lieu of let's say ranked choice voting, I go for even open primaries. If if the United States, you know, I said every state has its own system, so. Um, what I mean by an open primary is allowing independents to vote on primary. The way we have it in Ohio, it's a closed primary system. So only um, you can only you can be an independent and vote that day, but you will become a member of either the Democratic Party or the Republican Party because you're going to be asking for one of those two ballots. So in other words, if you're not a member of the party, you're shut out of the political process. Is yes. that, that right? Correct. And so oh, if you had, like, say, a number of states have open primaries, for instance, Wisconsin has an open primary. So if I'm an independent, and I really like that Democrat dude uh, that's running uh, more than the other person, I'm, I get to go down that day and vote. So you get an automatic indicator right there on your primary if you are a Republican or Democrat as to whether or not your policies are working, your message is working, because you're swaying those independents on that day. I see. And again, you're opening up your system. You're making those parties more accountable right then and there instead of just dispensing with the lies. Yeah. The propaganda. So, I mean, again, in Ohio, in our situation right now, what we're faced with here, we have now 
in both houses, in the Ohio House and Ohio Senate, are faced with supermajorities held by the Republican Party through gerrymandering. They are veto-proof. So even if DeWine uh, says, you know what, that's a bridge too far, maybe on abortion or with guns or something like that, they can override his veto. We have lost our court. And... Uh, so don't let somebody get moved out of Ohio if you don't like this? Yeah. There's going to be, we're going to lose more young people out of the state. We have, actually, we have probably per capita the, the largest amount of universities and colleges and universities than any other state. Ohio? Yeah. It's phenomenal how many colleges and universities we have scattered throughout the state. And yet we are, I think, the 15th dumbest state now, <laughs> educationally speaking. How's that? Just, How's that? How's that work? I don't know. They're dumbing us down here. And, so that's why I, that's why I, I'm like, I got to keep my hand in it because I just this is not the rock and roll. I just wrote a tweet the other day. This is not the rock rock and roll Ohio I grew up in. It's oh, come. You it, really have to stay in it, Craig. I mean, so, you know, yeah. dirty work, and somebody's got to do it. You know, apparently are preordained. But I think it, it comes back to uh, you know the big time operator. Song. You know all the different things that that you've done. I really think it's. I think that that's the. You know the great gift that you have that you bring to this is that you know you're able to see this from so many different perspectives which is you know i think i think great stuff and of course uh, you know not just parenthetically but you know your experience as a u.s citizen abroad is of course you know giving you the unique capacity to understand these problems for you know an important group as well for you know which i thank you yeah, I mean, and I, I think we, we the representation, that's something that um, I know that some people picked up on. I can't remember. I thought I had the endorsement of the Dems abroad, but somebody uh, uh, had uh, sent word and said I, did, I hadn't received that endorsement, but that's news to me. You have to be kidding. I think I, I must have gotten it. I was on both their um, both uh, big time Zoom calls with uh, with Dems abroad uh, during the season. So, uh, David Pepper appeared with uh, with me on one of them. Who's that? David Pepper was the former Ohio Democratic Party chair. Okay. Who I've gotten to know pretty well uh, over the last five years. Uh, he was ousted after, uh, you know, 2020. And uh, was replaced by Liz Walters. Yeah, so I'm, I mean, I'm not a member of, of Democrats abroad, so, you know, I don't know. But, uh, I mean, certainly... Um, you know, I I do watch the Twitter thing, and certainly, you know, you've got a lot of support from that. Um, I guess it would would have helped, I suppose, if Democrats abroad had issued a formal endorsement. I mean, I guess they I, if it came, I, I I'm not aware of it, but uh, but more than that, I mean, getting back to the representation for for all Americans abroad. Uh, I mean, this is this is yes, yeah, something has to be uh, uh, addressed here. It's still, I don't. I guess my question, you know, for 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 Americans abroad is, again, the next time these congressional delegations, if, if they get an opportunity um, to address this, I'm surprised that the chambers of commerce are hearing this and passing this on. You know, Craig, I'll tell you something. I um, tried to involve the Toronto branch, the American Chamber of Commerce, in this. Couple of years ago, yeah, um, modest success, right? Modest success in the sense that you know they, I think it enhanced the awareness of the issue. But uh, you are right; they do not seem to me to have a passion for tax reform. Um, you know, their passion is getting along with governments to sort of grease the palms, uh, you know, make sure that. Uh, uh, you know, business stays going, right? Yeah. Which I completely understand. But it does surprise me that that particular group is not more passionate on this issue. Yeah, because, again, that is right. That's their bread and butter. You want to have your U.S. representatives for those corporations or you know, those guys living abroad, active in the chamber. Again, this is these are your unofficial ambassadors. 
And you should be making that as uh, livable as possible for your own. Absolutely no question about it. I, I just don't no question. Yeah, I just don't is they, they've made it too expensive to hire Americans, you know, with all their nonsense. I mean, it is, it, they, they're certifiably insane. Yeah. Hmm. But it is interesting that, I think that part of the, the thing with the Americans abroad is that, you know, like any voting bloc, they're not a monolith, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, they tend to focus on, what they perceive as the issue for them, even though all of these problems come from citizenship taxation, right? So it's, you know, yeah. they'd be a lot better if they just came together with a view to getting rid of citizenship taxation, which would solve the problems for all people all the time, every day under all circumstances, rather than, you know, trying to get an exemption from this or that. Yeah. I think it's a huge, you know, huge mistake. But you definitely shook stuff up in the world of Americans abroad. You, you know, you, you were, I saw one tweet that called you a rock star. So oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah, someone on my team loved that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I love that. Absolutely. Well, I hope that you're, you know, able and willing to continue uh, in that spirit. Uh, you know, I think. Yeah, I think we need to. For, I'm going to. I was just thinking about this this morning where I really need to, I want to keep my hand in it. There were several people that I came across uh, during the course of the campaign. I'm going to stay connected to that are some good, good players. And, um, and they understand that, you know, where we've got to go with respect to getting, winning back the hearts and minds of these people that are, that are living. Um, you know, and it's, you know, actually, the it's just like the you know, Americans abroad. They have no constituency. We don't have a constituency here. We're not being heard. I believe you. I believe you. I think that's I think that's going to be my mission. I'm going to keep my hand in it. Uh, you know, uh, in some sort of fashion along those lines. Uh, and uh, well, isn't it part of an overall team of, of of getting voters heard? I'm sorry. Isn't it just part of an overall theme of getting, making it so that voters are heard? Yeah, but it's, 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 it's really just the most simplest thing. What I, what I came across more often than not, was they just wanted these people to show up. The part of being a candidate is just showing up. And what we weren't getting a lot from a lot of our, our, our bigger players is just come out to these, some of these areas I don't care how small the parade is. Those people are going to remember the fact that you showed up. Yeah, you're 100% right. I remember this one guy. I think I told you this before. Uh, but I remember this one guy uh, who I was talking to on campaign once. And he just said to me, he said, you know what, John? I'd actually vote for anybody who asked me to vote for them. Yeah. And that's what I did. When I walked up and down those parades in these small towns, that's all I did. I said, I'm asking for your vote. I'm asking for your vote. And, um, and how many said, yeah, absolutely, you got my vote. You ask, you got it. Yeah, yeah. But it, I think it's it's we we need to counter the message. These people have been brainwashed for a long time because we let them. We just it was a vacuum. You allowed the opposing side to come in and fill these people up with all this nonsense, all this misinformation. My opponent, that's all he was doing. He didn't he didn't engage me at all. Uh, didn't acknowledge my my existence. But he was engaged in such misinformation, and I got tried to get to counter that as best I could. I would call up a newspaper the next day and say, "Hey, man, you let this guy free had free reign." That's part of the issue here. These small town newspapers they do side by side analysis, but they don't ask the candidates the real the hard questions. And for these people to just to come out and it's a propaganda, propaganda, but you're not. You're doing a disservice to your own readers when you're not, you know. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah, questioning that. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you counter that? I mean, have you actually said, uh, "Hi, we really think you should ask these questions"? Yeah. <laughs> the it, the one thing I found out. Check this out. My opponent, the day of the insurrection. 
telephoned a local news reporter in Northwest Ohio and gave him a blow-by-blow account between the hours of 4 o'clock and 5 o'clock that day, January 6, 2021. He has binoculars with him in his office. And he's going over the whole thing. He's, he's, he's telling the reporter what he's seeing, how they're going over the steps, the scaffolding, and everything else. He's calling them rioters. He's, he's calling for the most extreme punishment for them because of what they were doing. This is a longtime congressman. And he, he was horrified by what he was seeing. And he even said to the reporter, this is verbatim, congressional staff were advised to stay home Wednesday due to the perceived threat of violence. So he knew ahead of time, and it was the first time I ever saw that, that article came to me by way of me being interviewed by that reporter and my questioning that reporter saying, why doesn't my opponent ever talk about insurrection? He goes, oh, you guess you, you don't subscribe to my paper. And then he told me about the link. And I read that and I could not believe it. And I said to the guy afterwards, he says, why didn't you follow up and ask him how he knew that? And he goes, I regret, he goes, I regret that. And he's known the guy forever. That's why he got the call from the representative. The guy you know, trusted him and everything else. But he says, but you didn't ask him that? That jumped right out at me when I read it. Oh, well, maybe he did. He just didn't answer it. Um, but this is the kind of stuff that nobody's holding these people accountable because they have the gerrymandering. They have the money. They have all of these people, the media that is just complacent. Yeah, but small town media, you know, it still matters because people actually read it. You know, they'll read it, you know, if, if they feel it's closer to them, for sure. Right. I think you, I think you have to get to the point where these rural uh, outlets, you, you don't have any television out here, per, per se. Toledo market and the Columbus market are pretty far apart. They don't necessarily carry all these other towns in between. And I think that these these independent newspapers, if you want to start becoming a little more relevant again, is you better start banding together and start asking the hard questions of these guys. You know, that's something I think you can do. I mean, you, you can become the hard question asker. I mean, you could be the source. Yeah. Well, I, that's what I, I think I'm going to be attending on doing. If I can organize, if I can organize a rural democratic group. That runs outside of the Democratic Party, per se. You know, so group for democracy. Yeah, and then start staging events. Starts staging events in these areas and talking about projects like, you know, better, smarter taxation or a state public bank that can revitalize rural areas. These would these would cross party lines. I think you're absolutely right, and I think that that should be your next great project. Because yeah. again, you know, I come back to your amazing background. You know, you're you're somebody who could actually pull this off. You know, because assuming you got ten different types of people, and let's imagine use a language analogy, they spent speak ten languages. You know, you can speak all ten. <laughs> well, it's true. Well, <laughs> Well, I'm helping out a, a, a Guatemalan couple to move into the south of Marion, 20 miles south of here. And so luckily my broken Spanish was suffice yesterday. We're trying to get the hot water heater going. So, <laughs> Well, no, that too. But I mean, in the sense of understanding the language. You no, know, I understand, yeah. Issue, you know, I mean, you know, it's so, so important here. And I, think, and I think this is absolutely critical because I don't think that, you know, I remember years and years ago, I may have been a lost when I was really, really young. And I had this. I was brought up with this image of, you know, right at the time, Russia, this horrible communist place. And I presume that they didn't even have elections, right? I think. And then somebody said to me, well, what are you talking about, John? Did they have elections there? Okay, I mean, they just don't have a lot of people on the ballot to vote for, but they have elections. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, are we that different in North America? No. No. I don't think we are either. No, you have a state media, you have market manipulation, you have a number of things that are happening. Oh, here, oh, here, Ohio, for instance. Ohio is home to Marathon Oil and a couple other big-time energy producers. And lo and behold, right at the election, price of gas dropped 20 cents in my town. 
you know, oh, oh. yeah, 20 cents right after the election. That's market manipulation. It, it, we knew it was going on because I followed, I followed, since I lived in the Middle East, I followed the price of oil in world markets all the time. And uh, gas has been uh, selling here at about 385 on average uh, a gallon. When oil's been trading around 80, 85, that usually translates to $2.85 a gallon. Yeah. They've been gouging for, for a long time. And in, now in the early 2000s, when I was just moved here, Governor Taft, a Republican, threatened that day if he saw the price of gas jump by more than a dime per gallon. There's a Republican. And there hasn't been that kind of you know threat or oversight in years. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of things that you know. I know it's a little digression there, but these are kind of the forces, the market forces that are playing. Going back to your point about, is it any really any different? No. No. We got. I mean, obviously, we have all the freedoms, and we can travel without permits and all that stuff. We don't have any, well, for now, for now, for now. For now. Well, yeah. What about this whole legal ID thing that I read about? Uh, you know, oh. and stuff, right? Or what about passport revocations if you owe taxes? You know, I don't know. I mean, I would say that there is more freedom to leave the United States or Canada than there might be to leave other countries in the world. But it is. Oh yeah. Possible. Is clearly eroding. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, and the whole tax system generally operates as a deterrent to being able to leave as well. Particularly if you're trying to live off pensions, and you know that you know that's taxed differently somewhere else. But in any case, you know, Craig, you got some very important work to do here. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, my, uh, much to my wife's dismay because um, she thought we're going to get a break, and I said, "Well, we're going to get a break," but I said, "It's." Uh, we also got to continue on. I, I, just, I, I'm pleased to see nationally that the Democrats, you know, held the line, and that we're proud. You know, we obviously have the Senate, um, and we may even pull off, uh, you know, keeping the House, which would be astounding. But I'm dismayed by our part, our our state politics here, in Ohio, that we're falling. In my mind, we're falling farther, farther behind. You know, regardless of what the outcome, what the final numbers are in this election, the real problems that we've been talking about are not in any way, shape, or form affected by this election, right? So, I mean, there's got to be, I mean, people like you, you know, have got to really step up to the plate here. This is it. This is your mission. This is your purpose. This is why you're yeah. on the earth, Craig. Yeah, keep this going. Yeah, I always do that blues brother thing. I'm on a mission from God. <laughs> it can include that. It can include yeah. that. Oh, I'm on a mission. It would include God, but I'm not. Yeah, sure. yeah that's right. Anyway, this is great stuff. Thanks so much for checking in with me again. And uh, yeah, it's so much fun. We can, you know, hopefully have another conversation as you as you continue your great work. Yeah. Um, are you still, you know, keeping your social media handles? At yeah. So, yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm obviously going to I had a woman, a uh, friend of mine that was really good uh, real quick with the tweets uh, tied into a lot of different source material and stuff like that. Now, I, that's she's obviously going by the wayside because we're you know, bringing, breaking that down. Uh, but the Twitter account remains active, and I'll be tweeting every once in a while. I, I sent one out the other day or whatever, and got some action out of it. I think people liked it. That was the one where I said, this isn't the Rock and Roll Ohio group. Uh, this is some place that was showcased at Footloose. Where's Kevin Bacon when you need, when you need him? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, this, yeah, this is it. This is, we got a, we got a, Bring back the rock and roll Ohio that I remember. Sure. So, yeah. Exactly the slogan. But yeah, you know, the key to do it is by, you know, making individual voters matter again. Yes. You know, that's, yeah. that's the Democratic resurgence that's needed. This is really not a Democrat versus Republican thing. It's a, it's a political party versus individual voter thing. You know, it is. It is. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, because these guys not. aren't going to these guys are going to just do the lip service for the next two years. My opponent's just going back to Washington, and he's just going to do the photo ops. Yeah, he's not going to. How long is this guy? What? How long has he been in Congress? Oh seven. You think there ought to be term limits? Oh, absolutely. I was campaigning on that because that's the only way we can get around these guys right. with, with the money. Sure, because I mean their very existence they market twenty four seven, right? Just you know by virtue. Yeah. Of their Totally yeah, ridiculous. yeah. So it, it is going back to the rule of the voter, the independent, Republican, Democrat alike, and saying you, you, your, your voice isn't being heard. These That's guys come around campaign time. They, 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 it's the litany of lies and misinformation, and they're not going to improve your lives. Another, yeah, another point that I would like to add to that is as follows. Okay. I mean, you and I would agree, I think, that some of the candidates on both parties, both parties offered up were pretty absurd and not very good candidates. Would you, you and I both agree with that, right? Yeah. But see, my point is this, that it's only because of the existence of these political parties that these ridiculous candidates even get on, you know, can even get on the ballot, right? I mean, they never could on their own. No. So, you know, you need to break, in a way... I think the argument is you need to break down the political parties so that you can have better candidates. I mean, yeah. that's what I, I always found interesting was, you know, I haven't done this for, you know, a while, but I ran as an independent, uh, you know, and I found myself on debate stages with candidates from the main political parties. And I was always, I was always struck by, you know, like how ridiculous they were, right? I mean, they were just, you know, they didn't have any thoughts on much of anything. And, you know, they were decidedly weak camps. Then I'd run municipally where there were no parties. And all of a sudden, you know, you're surrounded by all these really good thinking candidates. So, you know, I, I believe that political parties uh, ruin the, the quality. You know, they almost ensure that a certain percentage of the, can the party's candidates are not going to be up to scratch. Yeah, it's, it's very, very interesting. Oh, well, let's pick this up again. All right. We got a great ongoing discussion, lots of things to talk about. So I thank you for the first discussion, the second discussion. I thank you for running in the past, and I thank you for your commitment to the future. And, Appreciate uh, it. Any final thoughts you have, motivational things, like vote independent <laughs> maybe or something? <laughs> Get active. <laughs> Read more. <laughs> yeah, actually, that, that would be it. All right, Craig. This is All right. Again, I'm speaking with Craig Schwartz, who is the Democratic candidate in Ohio 5th District. And, uh, you know, the election is over, but the mission continues. Thanks, Craig. You're welcome.